Hebrews chapter 13. It's going to sort of do a part two of... I'm not going to review. We will cover maybe some of the same ground, but we're going to advance it forward today. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for people that you've called together who still desire to gather around the means of grace and and who recognize this as our, the thing that we need most as we go into this coming week. That this is the most important time that we'll have as we go forward seeking to be light, seeking to be salt, seeking to be um, gracious, seeking to be of comfort and to be comforted. So, Lord, we thank you. And we pray now that you will feed us by your word and spirit. And we pray this preaching of your word that it will be productive to those who are in you and that if those don't, who don't know you may hear that it would be salvific. So we pray now for the blessing of your preached word in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So again here in Hebrews, written to a church going through persecution because of being in the faith and we get to chapter 13 that really goes into more of the um, uh, didactic portion is where they're teaching you things and then the imperative is where they're telling you to do things. So here's where it's like because of all these things we've been taught and there's some things that we're told to do along the way but now he's saying so what kind of lives are you live? You're, you're being persecuted and you want to remain faithful and you want to make sure you don't run off and follow other gods and that you stay um, close to the Lord. And so he begins with this. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. The word of the Lord. So that last section there is important. It's like what is the love of money, brother love, stranger love, caring for those who are in prison, for those who are um, being suffering, for those who have, you know, being persecuted for their faith and, and, and loving money. What does that have to do with, with, with um, what can man do to me? And remember the context, it's in the context of there's outside problems that are coming in to um, the church because it's being the church. And the more outwardly focused the church becomes, then the more the world will tell you, you know, keep it in there. But eventually it won't even be allowed in there and here. So what kind of lives ought we to live? And it kind of ends this section by saying, the Lord's your helper. The, word? <laughs> the Lord's your helper. The Lord is your helper. I will not fear, is a quoting from the, the psalm, what can man do to me? So keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And it's interesting if you preach this sermon in a very opulent big city, say Charlotte, North Carolina, and you get a big old beautiful church with a big old bunch of wealthy people, 
worshiping, you know, and you're preaching about this, then you, you, you're like, okay, how do I preach it? Then you come here to Little Albemarle, South Carolina, wherever we are. I can't keep up. I travel so much. <laughs> wherever we are, that, you know, we look around, it's like, oh, not all that. We got, so this sermon's going to maybe, maybe be a little bit different. You know, if you're there, you kind of had to maybe preach, um, well, it's not bad. You know, here you got to kind of preach, well, it's not bad, but, you know, sometimes you need help. Then you go to Haiti and you preach the same message. How you do it? And the answer should be, it should be the same because the gospel is the gospel. And the same message should apply to, to everyone. Um, but you can see where it's different. And I th- believe the difference is that um, our perspective, obviously, is the difference. We come to this text from different perspectives. You may come to this text from a, um, quite a large amount of wealth, and your culture that you live in is quite opulent. We talked about this last week. Compared to who? Because wealth is relative. Even in Haiti, wealth is relative. There's always somebody worse off. There's always some people who are better off. And our perspective to come to this text should be the same. So let's, we're just going to go again to several different places in the Bible to let the Lord speak. And then at the, as we go through this, we should all have the Holy Spirit to apply in our personal situations and application of this. Um, so the first point we're going to make is that God is the Lord of your wealth. Wealth being a relative term, okay? God is the Lord of it. And now my point with this is that I want us to see one thing is we have this concept of tithing that's not a bad idea. Um, it's biblical Old Testament and it may even be good New Testament, uh, but the 10% decimal point giving, um, it becomes an accounting error at times, and it should be, as we'll see, how does God, what does he require of us with our, with our money? And the problem I have, with, one of the problems I have with the way the church can look at tithing is 10% belongs to the Lord, and the rest of it is yours. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It is all God's money. Every bit of it. 100% of it. You are steward and manager of his stuff. That If we can't get that straight, then when something happens and some of your money is taken from you or you see a need, it's going to be very difficult to deal with somebody taking my stuff. I got this, I earned this. Then we see certain um, type of political uh, theology uh, or whatever it's called, uh, uh, political, whatever it is. Yeah, gosh, can't think of words. We're in South Carolina with all my brothers and sisters. Um, <laughs> but they'll say, you know, the thing I'm thinking about, you didn't build that. You know, and, but the idea being other people did. And so we have to make sure what we as Christians, regardless of whatever weird thing you may do with your politics, is that you know God is God, and God is the one who gives us everything, and it all belongs to God, and we will give an accounting for all that we have done with all that we have. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, 
I think it's one of the first places you go is, is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It is um, Old Testament, so there are some things that apply differently to them, but this concept is exactly the same because the New Testament tells us that these things that happen to them happen to them for us who live today, that we might know how to live godly and holy lives um, in Christ. So Deuteronomy chapter 8. The whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that your Lord God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as man, a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and, and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of those hills you can dig copper. You shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good that he has given you. Now, this is ultimately talking about heaven. This was never ultimately fulfilled in the promised land there. And as we should be looking at this, uh, we can say, my goodness, we got an awful lot of heaven now. As far as Americans go, um, it's, you can see where we might believe a prosperity gospel. Because God certainly has shed his grace on us. But then you go to other countries where you might see stronger Christians and they have less material goods and you're like, it would appear as if America must have greater faith because they have greater blessings. So that's because we as Americans base our blessing on materialistic things. Then we get to verse 11. So here we are in opulence. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Therefore, one, wealth is not evil. 
And it is not your power that enabled you to get wealth. It is ultimately God's power who enabled you to get wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today, you shall surely perish. Like all the nations the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. So... This applied to Israel. So the question is not, how does this apply to America? That is not the question. Because Israel, Old Testament Israel, is not in any way equal to United States. If there's going to be any sort of equation to be made that we want to do a comparison with, it's Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church in all the world because the world is the fullness of the Lord's. All the nations are coming to him. So as we are coming to salvation in Jesus Christ into the church, the warning is that we see in Hebrews in the New Testament is go back and look at what those guys did. And we're told by the New Testament to do this. This isn't me coming up with this. This is Hebrews it says do this. Look what they did. Don't do that. You have wealth. You're a church. You're a Christian. And you have wealth. Whatever you have, when in whatever amount you have it, be thankful for it. Don't be fearful of man. And follow the Lord. And don't think and remember that it is God who is the one that gives you the power to get wealth. And so when we have that first, then we go to 2 Thessalonians. That's in the New Testament. It's in the, you know, the group of Paul's writings right there in a certain section. If you want to get better at where things are in the Bible, look up... Um, the genre in the New Testament or how the books are divided into the Old Testament. And it is helpful. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 10 and 12. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you are walk, some of you, some among you walk in idleness not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do the work, their work quietly and to earn their own living. Um, Lenin used this as one of his quotes. Okay? Um, Satan quotes scripture. So be careful what you do with these sorts of things. But what we see here is we are not told just sit there and let the wealth roll in because if you have enough faith, it'll be fine. We're supposed to work at some level. Um, doing something and doing things with your hands particularly is very good. But as the Lord has given us physical talents to be able to do things and gifts and all of these sorts of things, we're to develop these things. We're to tend the land. We're to help our fellow neighbors. We're to, we're to do good uh, so that if we get wealth, it's because God has given us that power to, and we can't look at it and go, you know, 
I have done this for myself. And if you believe that your, because it is your hard work at times, it is, it is your, your gifts and your skills, but you remember it's like that comes to you because of God. And that's where all of our power comes from. That's where all these things come from. Even those who don't believe God, those good and perfect gifts have come down from the Father of lights. It's common grace principle. So that the, the more God blesses the non-believer, the more wrath and destruction God will place on their heads in, in the time of destruction. And so what we desire as believers is we want to experience that, but we do receive rewards. We do receive the well-done, good, and faithful servant. We do desire to do what the Lord wants us to do with his, not just his money, but with the talents we have so that we do seek to promote the greater welfare that our desire is for our neighbor. Jesus did not come to even the ultimate purpose of Jesus' saving work on the cross was to glorify our Father in heaven. It was for his glory that we're saved. So we ought glorify the Lord with our gifts, with our talents, and all the things that we do. So we are called to work. Now, this doesn't say if you can't work. This says if somebody's not willing to work. And so that's the thing we have to put out. I've, I've heard people... Um, they're just waiting on the stimulus check to, you know, whatever the next stimulus check is, you know, to once I get that, I'll be able to do this. Once I get that, I'll be able to do this. And it's like, okay, um, where's your hope? Second Corinthians 9, let me read beginning in verse 5. So Second Corinthians it's another of Paul's writings. One of the ways in which they're in order has to do with their length. Second Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 5. Paul writes to this church that's been having problems in Corinth, and he says, So I thought it necessary to urge you, brothers, to go ahead and, and arrange in advance for the gift you've promised and is to help the, uh, the Macedonians, I think, to there were another church in another area is experiencing great poverty. And not because they lack faith, but because just the way the world works. So there's this other church over here, they have the ability to help. And a lot of churches were helping beyond their ability to help, but they just had the desire to help. And so this is what God says about this. Um, Verse 5, you thought, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead of you to arrange in advance for the gift you've promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. The point of this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So one of the ways that we steward our, the things that God is giving us is by being a generous, cheerful, wise giver. That's what we're supposed to do with God's money. Now, there are some churches on TV, at least, and I'm sure there are ones that don't quite make it on TV, um, that will teach, sow the seed. I, mean, I can tell you how many times I've seen that. I got sow that seed. Send in $100. Send me $100. Now, we, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take up another offering in just a minute. And I want you guys to do is think about this. How much you want to be blessed? You want a big blessing? Or you want just a little blessing? Because God loves a generous giver. And it says so right here. 
you reap sparingly, you will sow sparingly. So here's what you're doing. You think about writing $100? Don't write a check for $100. You don't want a $100 blessing. You want a $1,000 blessing. Write $1,000. $1,000 blessing. Oh, I don't have that kind of money, preacher. Well, why do you think you don't have that kind of money? Because you won't give that kind of money. Give the money. That's fun to preach. Man, I tell you what, that just makes my flesh just tingle. <laughs> it's easy to forget. I'll get you. Any one of y'all could come up and preach that sermon. But how many of us would maybe keep going to that church? You know, so a lot of people do. And again, the, the singer Shy Lin has that line that says, if you come to God for money, God is not your God, money is. He's talking about sowing to, anyway, we're going to see what that means. This isn't, most of the stuff about money is not about getting money. It's about using money and, and crush the idol of money. And it's very difficult for us because we live in a culture that we help to put the point across that money is an ultimate need. Proverbs eleven twenty four, right after the Psalms. And Proverbs 11 has... Lots of Proverbs have to do with wealth and money, but 11 has several things in there, too. So Proverbs 11:24 says this, you know, One gives freely, and yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. Now, the what he should give is interesting, because there's a certain amount of something that we might think, okay, we should give a certain amount, we should be helping. Um, but one gives freely, and grows all the richer. It's proverb. It's like, look at this. This is wisdom. How, how does that even work? It ought to be the opposite. You would think that the more you give, it's like, you can't just keep doing that because you're, you, you're going to run out of stuff to give. And if you give, you know, unwisely, without faith, then that may well be the case. But there's one who gives freely and yet grows all the richer, and another withholds what he should give, and he only suffers wants. So don't believe that by holding on to the things that God has given us, that that is going to help increase the things that God has given us. For why would God give you more if you're not doing his work with it? Unless it is to teach you a lesson and things like this, to be a soft curse on you. So God is the Lord of our wealth. Secondly, don't fall in love with money. Don't fall in love with money. Proverbs 30 Verses 8 and 9, and I go back to verse 7. Two things I ask of thee, deny them not to me before I, die, before I die. Remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needed, needful for me. I does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that's needful to me, lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? And I think that's more of the condition of the church in our culture, more the thing that we might need to think about. I am full. And we might be called to deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or I become poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Both things can happen. Because the problem is not the money, the problem is the human heart. And what we'll do in any situation is either praise him to the glory of God or bring um, shame upon his name. And so 
the, the writer of Proverbs here is saying, don't put me under that kind of temptation. Don't give me riches, you know, because I might forget you if you give me. I mean, how many of us have prayed that? Oh, God, don't give me riches. Maybe some of us have. But how many people have prayed, don't make me poor in one way or another? Oh, yeah, that one. <laughs> we'll do that. But for that reason? Because if I'm poor, I'm liable to start stealing stuff. Because, you know, don't put me in these extreme situations because I know that if you do that, I tend to, to wonder. And Ecclesiastes 5.10, we don't have to turn there, but you can. We looked at it last time because we're talking about not falling in love with money. He says, whoever loves money will not be satisfied with money. And whoever loves riches, uh, riches will not fulfill him. So if you love money, I hate to tell you about it, but you're never going to be satisfied with it. You're running after a woman who is just untouchable. And you'll always be sad, or if you're a woman, a, a guy, whatever. You, you will not be satisfied with money if you love it. And then let's go to Luke chapter 12. And we're going to see in Luke chapter 12 as we're going to transition. And this is um, Jesus, part of Jesus' teaching, part of the Sermon on the Mount. And what he says here um, goes, says two things. So this point is don't fall in love with money. And the third point is going to be don't trust in money. Okay? So you might say, well, I'm not in love with it. But, you know, like I'm not in love with my seatbelt. But I'm going to wear it every time. And then what do you say? I can go as fast as I want to because I'm now wearing a seatbelt. Well, don't trust in that seatbelt. <laughs> you know, it's that sort of thing. So, one, we fall in love with money. Don't fall in love with money. And then we're going to see as we go through this also the idea don't trust in money. Luke 12, verse 13. Jesus is, is the preacher here. And he says, <clears throat> well, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> That's a great Thing. I just I love that. You go to Jesus. He's up there. He's a teacher. Hey, tell him the shared inheritance with me. <laughs> all right. But Jesus said, man, who made me a judge or arbiter, arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. And that means the desire for what other people have. And not, it's a little more than that, too. It has to do with not just a desire for what they have, but an anger over the fact that they have it. Why should they? It's a resentment that's involved in that. Um, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. How many of us, and I have to say as the preacher, am I preaching to me too or am I just preaching to you? How many of you, but I have to think about these things too, how many people has God blessed with an abundance of possessions and then the maintenance or use of those possessions keep them from church, keep them from God, keep us from worshiping because God has blessed us with things and then those things keep us from him. Then you have to ask yourself, were those possessions blessings or curses? And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, I'm going to add this, self, you know, what shall I do? For I don't have anywhere to store my crops. Well, you know what you do? He's supposed to be sharing with people around him in this that, it's an agrarian com community. Well, it's not a little different than what we have. But, you know, he's like, I got I to, gotta, what am I going to do? 
the stuff that I have is going to perish. Now, what we have, we have money, and we can store it in places and things. So he's like, okay, i got to do something here. So he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, and I will build bigger ones. That's interesting. The man's already got barns. They're just not big enough anymore. And there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. That's Ecclesiastes stuff right there. Eat, drink, be merry. I had, I'm good to go. But God said to him, I just want to say idiot. I don't know whether that translates right or not. More fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's our lesson. You got stuff. George Carlin has this. Sorry, he cusses a lot. George Carlin <laughs> has a little comedian. He's a comedian, and he had this thing. He says, you know, all we need is a place for our stuff. And he goes on about it. You just need somewhere for your stuff. What's that? I, need, I have something. Well, now I need somewhere to put it. You know, our problem, I don't know if you've noticed it, but one of the things I've noticed is, like, there are an awful lot of storage buildings that are going up. I mean, huge, tremendous storage buildings. I'm like, because we don't have enough room at our house to keep things, or maybe if somebody's lost their house and they have to put something there, I don't know, I'm sure some bad things can happen, but there's a lot of storage houses where it just seems to be we just need places for our stuff. We have such an abundance that we, you know, we've done this, and God doesn't say that wealth is bad. God doesn't say possessions are bad. He's like, what are you doing? You're storing up wealth for yourself and your dying tonight and you don't have any treasures in heaven and then what happens to all that stuff good job putting it all in barns you know if you had been a steward of my stuff you'd have been taking care of it all along and then when you die look at the blessing that it, that reverberates but instead all you've done is proven that you just cared about yourself and then yourself is the thing that you should have been thinking of last or first as far as treasures in heaven so don't fall in love with it and then don't trust in it 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul's writing to um, his son in the faith. He's, he's trying to pass on final words of wisdom and instruction to him. So in 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 6, and this is don't trust in money. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. Again, there's our theme of being content with what you have. Because we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Do you know that was from the Bible? You hear that a lot. We didn't bring anything into this world and we can't take anything out of it. So godliness with contentment is great gain. If we have food, which a lot of people don't, and clothing, which a lot of people struggle for, with these things we'll be content. So, you know, in that scale, where are we? But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Now, it doesn't even say those who are rich. This is why this applies to everybody, those who desire to be rich. Rich people desire to be rich. 
Desperately poor people, they desire to be rich. Anybody can desire to be rich, more rich even than they are. And you're going to fall into a temptation, into a snare. This is a trap. Into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I just love that. Piercing themselves with many pangs, many things. You know, and so you know, faith is equal to love plus trust. Don't love money, don't trust money. Faith is equal to love plus trust. You can trust something but not love it. You don't really have the kind of biblical faith in it. You can love something but you have trust in it. That's not really a biblical faith. So faith is love plus trust. You love money, you're trusting in money. Where's your faith? Chris Rock, another cussing comedian, has a uh, thing he talks about on his... Is uh, the dollar bill, our money, what's it say on it? In God we trust. He said, I've been looking for God all this time, and there it is right there in my pocket. You know, we all worship at the church at the ATM. You know, it's like, so is that saying who our God is, or is that really saying who our God is? You know, is money our God? Because faith in Jesus is more valuable than gold, the Bible tells us. So we have to think, all right, if the love of money is bad, those who desire to be rich fall into many temptations, what are we teaching our children? You know, what, what do we desire for them? Because the world will throw money at them to keep them from the Lord money to give them the ability to worship their functional gods that you have taught them to worship. Everything's supposed to be free. Free education, because why? Because education's the silver bullet. If you can educate people, the world will be a, you know, that's the solution. But as believers, we don't believe that. We believe the gospel's the solution. We don't think you should be ignorant, but neither do we think that education is the church. Health care. It ought to be free. God forbid we lose any of our money for our health. God forbid we lose any money to be educated. Um, because it's all about... You go into a poor community. The nicest buildings, what are they? Banks. Hospitals. Funeral homes. Colleges. But, and why? Because beauty of architecture means money, which means somebody knows what they're doing, which means blessing, and you can't get kids to go to a college these days that looks a little more dilapidated because they aren't seeking education they're seeking a college experience which the world is more than happy to give and we have to be careful we it's so hard for us to step out of our community and i don't be all judgmental because i'm judging myself with this stuff too but the love of money is a terrible thing and we had to be very careful of that and especially as parents grandparents great-grandparents we spend more time making sure our children are going to get into college we're going to make sure that our children um, have the right career. We're going to make sure that, for what? 
because I can tell you this, for a lot of people, and I'm not saying everybody, I'm not going to cast a blanket statement, but if you want to know what's more important, if your children want to know what's more important to you, then um, where do you place your importance of where you spend your time and where you spend your money? Um, you got to work. And so why do you go to work? I go to work to glorify God. I go to work because I'm supposed to care for my family. I go to work. And then you're going to be answerable to God for, did you have to have all this? Did you have to have all that? Do you think your children are going to be unhappy if they don't have the biggest and the nicest? Or are we going to be resentful over people who have more or who do different? You know, it's like, where's your functional God? Be careful what your functional God is. It doesn't mean that other things are bad, but if you get good things and forget your Lord, those things are best yanked from your hands. Don't teach your children that money is God. Don't teach your children that the, the, chief, end of man is, the chief end of man is to glorify themselves. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And sometimes that requires, who knows what that requires? You follow God wherever he leads, wherever he goes. That's what you do. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's the gospel. He calls us to be born to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled and unfading. Where is it? It's kept in heaven for you. Hey, if you don't get to heaven, you don't get it. You might have a bunch of stuff now. Oh, man, you're successful. You graduated from the best college. Or you didn't go to college. You got a good job. You're making all this money. And success, as defined by your culture, has been, succeed, succeed, has been um, accessed and exceeded. And then you die, and they die. And then what happens? Because there was a treasure in heaven. Well, you don't have it because you had all your good stuff here. And that's what you worshiped, and that's what you followed. Be careful with that. And it's kept for those, in verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed for the last time. So your faith is the thing that guards you. Nurture your faith and the faith of your children and grandchildren and your neighbor and all people who you have any, any influence over. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, as was necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor and revel at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Through, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, so that when your barns are full and your soul is demanded of you, the true inheritance I was looking for was there. Why did I build barns? I wanted to be able to do good. I want to be able to help other people. I want to do what God would have me to do with it. And be careful when you say that because if God holds you to it, you might lose a lot of stuff that you find precious. We may lose things we find precious to us. Again, reading the Lord of the Rings, he calls that ring. What happens when that ring of power gets a hold of you? you everybody that ever has it starts to call it, if you know what it is, my precious. My precious. It's precious to me. I can't have anything else. So be careful, because if you have a ring of power that the world has given you, and Jesus says, hey, I need you to give that to somebody, you're going to be like, <coughs> Curse you. 
is what we do. Bless you. Hebrews eleven twenty four. And this is our last place. Hebrews 11, verse 24. Moses, by faith, when he was grown up. So children, I don't know what your parents are teaching you. I look around here, I don't see that many children, but I know your parents are trying to, their best to teach you the gospel. So you've got, you're blessed with that. But children, when you grow up, don't lose your faith. When you grow up, make sure you have not trained yourself to see other things as more important than God. Because when you get old, you will find that you have taught yourself lots of ways of behavior that's going to be difficult to change as you get older. So learn while you're young to follow the Lord every step of the way. Because by faith, Moses, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ that means because I'm following Jesus, there's people who are against me. Because I'm following Jesus, I might not get, I mean, you know, you may be coming into a day when because you worship Jesus, you can't get that job. Because you worship Jesus, you can't have all that money. Because you worship Jesus, your life is going to be hard. Then what will matter to you more, children, when you grow up? Ease or being with God wherever I am? And that's what parents, now that we're old and older, Let's get it right. Whatever you've done in the past, get this right. Because he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Why? Because he was looking for the reward. He was looking to heaven. That's where his treasure was. That's where his hope was. That's what he's focused on. That's what everything is focused on is the glory of God. The main, in the Reformed faith, shorter catechism, Question number one, what is the chief end of man? What is the primary directive? If you're a Star Trek fan, what is the prime directive? Glorify God, enjoy him forever. And our great commission is to go forth making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Use your money to help do that. Use your life to help do that. Use your goods to help accomplish that. Kingdom work is what God has blessed us for. This country was founded on Christian principles, and it has achieved great wealth. You know, we have a decision to make. We can continue to build bigger barns, or we can say, there are brothers and sisters that need to be blessed. What am I doing with God's money? What is he calling me to do? And that's when we come to the Lord's table. He says, I gave myself for you. Think of, this is the point with Moses. It points to Jesus Christ. Look what he left to save us. And so when we say, to quote meatloaf, I would do anything for love, but I can't do that. You know, I'd do anything for the Lord, but not this, not that. Well, God's going, if he loves you, he's going to start messing with that idol. 
And when God, we love to talk about when Jesus got angry, and then what's the example? Well, he turned over the money changers' tables. Money changers' tables, what were they doing? Making money off people worshiping God. Churches doing that, anathema, synagogues of Satan, stay away from them. When they're judged, you don't want to be a part of that. But we can be judged too because if we care more about our money and it keeps people from coming into the kingdom, if we end up caring more about being money changers than sending our money, our wealth, our goodness, our whatever, employing it for the good advancement of the kingdom of God in the world, then we're just money changers in front of the temple of God stopping people from going in. I am not telling you to write a great big check, put it in our church plate, and make it out to missions or make it out to however. I'm not asking you to give more money to the church. You know you have an obligation to give to the church. Do it, as do I, as do other people. I can give more. Maybe I ought to. Support missions. You ought to in some way. And if you think, I can't do it with my money, if you don't give any money ever, I don't understand how, I don't understand that. If there is something that you feel like you can't give because it would cost too much, talk to some believers about it and make sure you're not thinking wrongly and then try to let it go. Because that's how you know if you have an addiction or not. And we're addicted to money. Let's be addicted to the word of the Lord. Let's come to his table um, knowing that we fall short, that he loves us. He's given himself for us. The blood of Christ is more precious than any gold or silver. The the faith, when we come to the table by faith, we're united to him. He's with us and he feeds us by these things. And that faith is more important than anything. If a person takes the Lord's Supper and they don't have faith, they're eating eating and drinking condemnation to themselves. So we have to ask ourselves, do I truly have faith? Do I truly believe? And then on what do you base that answer? And all that Paul says really is, you know what you do? Just work out your salvation. Do it. Let's see some outworking. Start doing things based on faith, trusting God with your obedience, and that's where you'll figure out where my limits are with how far I can follow. And then what you'll learn is God will do things to help you be able to go just a little further, just a little further. So let's pray that that he does that. Father God, thank you. things are convicting easy to turn this into legalism easy to say if I do this or do that then you love me more but it's not the point if anybody thinks that then we've I've either messed up my message or they're, they're just I don't know <laughs> so I just pray that you will help us to worship you and depend on you and to have faith in you let goods and kingdom go this mortal life also the body they may kill um, Thy truth abideth still. Help us to come to your table, knowing that if we have that, let them take whatever they got. Whatever people have, whatever we have, and it's gone, that we still have you. And help us not to build up defenses to keep us from losing anything, but rather that we be quick to give. It's hard for us. Thank you for your grace and your love. And pray this in Christ's name. Amen.